Do you see these elephants, Muscat? These elephants are our emotions. They dictate everything. The tiny riders on top? Now, those are our brains and what we call logic. We like to think that we can tell our elephants where to go. And the rider likes to think he's in control. But look at the size of this beast and tell me, the tiny rider has any chance of steering the parade. If the elephant decides to go left, well, the rider can either go with it or jump off. The best thing you can do, Muscat, is to understand your elephant, get intimate with what it needs, and learn about where it is going. Otherwise, your rider will give you much trouble. Muscat didn't really understand what Babu was talking about, and he didn't realize that this very last encounter with his grandfather would save his life countless times in the future, including a frightful encounter with a bull many years later. Hey, Atajun. Hello, uh, Amarjan. How are you? I'm doing great. It's um, exciting times. Yes. We're here on the Treasure Island. Yes. where you live and yesterday for the first time I saw your grandson mm-hmm. and it's so funny uh, how does it feel to be a grandfather well it's one of those feelings that first of all everybody tells you that it's going to be exciting and it's a world changing so when it happens first time and you see the grandkid first when he's born and you're trying to put all those mystical feelings into something that it got me yes yes I'm there once I understand that Aiden is connected with the mom and dad and that they are connected, then I start connecting with them. And that's the beginning that I find out, wow, this is really a magical feeling. It's a very amazing feeling, you know. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And the reason why I say it's funny is because I always say, you. it feels like you are both my grandfather and my grandson <laughs> in a way. So hopefully today we'll learn your secret to youth and, yeah. and eternal youth. And it's very fitting because we're going to be leaving the audience with this episode after mm-hmm. a long uh, seven-month journey now. Very good. So um, we're going to be talking about the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. our emotions. Got it. Got it. And it's a, it's a room that's closed for a lot of uh, us mm-hmm. men. Uh-huh. And so hopefully today we can uncover what it takes to unleash them. What? Why, why are they important? And mm-hmm. like talk a little bit about these weird things called feelings. Right, right. How do you feel about that? It's a fantastic topic. I love the whole idea of how is the feeling helps you to actually think more clearly. I think one of the things about the feeling is there's a dogma that you shouldn't make a decision when you have a strong feeling. I see that's actually the other side of the coin, that when you explore it, you know how to go back and forth. So I think it's a fantastic topic. Awesome. I'm excited to go into it. Mm-hmm. But first, we always ask the guests to share a story to help them mm-hmm. uh, get closer to the audience and help right. the audience under- understand who they are. What story from your life, and I know that you have many, and mm-hmm. we are going to touch upon mm-hmm. many. Uh, but let's start with a story uh, that signifies the first time that you kind of got in tune with your emotions or mm-hmm. understood your emotional or creative side, because uh, you're, right. you're a painter have a lot of creative endeavors. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, talking about elephants, your last name is Pilgrim, right? Right. And that means right. Elephant, elephant trainer. Yeah. Elephant trainer. So, <laughs> so I, I have a professional today. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, tell us, like, when was the first time you realized you're an elephant trainer? That was when I was 
five years old. And so I was walking with one of my uncles and I saw an airplane flying. It was a rolling hills in certain part of Iran, in Machi Suleiman. So I immediately had a piece of the cardboard with me for some reason and, and a white pencil. And so I just drawn in the pictures of the plane. Well, my uncle cherished that forever. And he passed away when he was 94. And at one point we were together toward his last days. I asked him that, Daijan, uncle, do you remember that day? He said, yes, I remember it very vividly. Hmm. And so that became a, a turning point that I actually understand the art is part of me and painting is part of me. And then another occasion was when I was older, I was eight years old, mm -hmm. every morning and there's a short pray and then thanking and uh, ceremony. And then principals toward the end usually makes an announcement. Well, my parents appreciated my art, but I really didn't know if my grandparents really appreciated it. Toward the end of the ceremony, I had to go to the bathroom and I just couldn't hold myself. And so as soon as I was dropped my pants, all of a sudden I heard that my name was announced. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to put off my pants and go all the way down to stay in the queue. And as it turns out that my grandfather sent a couple of drawing books mm -hmm. and color pencils. And the principal was going to present it in front of everybody, all the students, on behalf of my grandparents. And when I got there, the ceremony was already finished <laughs> because they called me a couple of times and I didn't answer. So they went to the next event or what the next announcement. And you're running with your pants <laughs> around your knees. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm here. <laughs> that was the part that I really realized that, okay, it's, uh, it was my grandfather. Oh. That was his rite of passage, basically, to say, okay, this is, uh, this is my art. It's quite incredible to feel that uh, you're validated at such a young age mm -hmm. with someone. And in, in the book and in this chapter mm -hmm. that we're covering, it's in this last chapter of this mm -hmm. part, it's like the grandfather really giving the keys of emotions and creativity right. to the grandson. Right. And one of the hardest things is then knowing how to express it. But I didn't know how to express myself until we moved. And we totally moved from uh, south of Iran, that was that I grew up, and that was at the end of the school, and there was the beginning of the high school. And we came to this society, which was very, very close, different. It was uh, the center of the religious in Iran. And so we came out of a very, very open society in Ahwaz, and uh, people would go to the crop houses. So there was regular parties, regular people are getting together, and you could see a mix and match of different cultures, different levels of the societies, from the military to the someone from the oil companies, someone from the university, everybody kind of so mingled. So that's is where you came from, Correct. Right? the south. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I was. My dad was transferred to Gong mm. or Pong, mm. and this is talking about the emotion that all of a sudden, like you are such a huge open space, you come to this society, which is everybody thinks is such a closed society. But I tell you, that society really changed us to much better. So for me, for example, was the turning point was seventh grade. So I saw there was a gallery. So I always go around and pick in. And so it's beautiful pictures and we just resonated, but I never find anybody there. Or sometimes I see some people are working there. One day I really got it together. And I said, I've got to go over there and introduce myself. 
So I knock on the door and went over there and introduced myself. And then I jump on and ask him, would you take new students? And he said, well, I never had students. So basically the answer was no, but very politely. And so when I got home, I told my dad that there is a gallery here, and but the guy doesn't take new students. Is it possible to come with me? So he came, and of course, my dad from the military, and so they have a different respect. Um, so this guy said, oh, definitely, this is, I'd love to have him as a student. But he opened up a whole new door because he was really teaching me the technical aspects of the painting. Now I knew how to express myself, not only through the paintings as an abstract that something would come up with, but there's actually there's a structure to it. There is a depth to it. You have to understand the values. You have to understand the color. You have to understand how to draw in the, ne- in the neg- negative space. And for me at the age of seven or eight was a tremendous growth. That artist started and said, wow, I mean, I thought I was an artist, but this is amazing. sounds to me that there was an impulse towards expressing yourself artistically mm-hmm. that came to you very naturally, mm-hmm. but then required some people to recognize it mm-hmm. and other people to mentor you. You had to mm-hmm. seek that mentorship, so exactly. you followed the impulse. Exactly. And then you had kind of like the techniques to be able to mm-hmm. express in a way that's like beyond what you even imagined. Right. But do you think that's accessible to everyone? Like, do you think we all have this emotional capacity, yeah. creative capacity? You see some of the people... That- we know talent. All the students you find out they are amazing. I mean, I could tell you an interesting story. Uh, I was in the hospital for, uh, after an accident that I had. So I broke my pelvis. During this recovery, they had to be in the hospital for, for a few weeks or a few months. Then there was another lady that she didn't get up from her bed for about two or three years. So they were, the hospital was coming up under the new program, looking at uh, emotional, expressing emotion, your emotion through different media. So I volunteered to teach paintings. One of the interesting things happened was when I was teaching them that you don't have to worry about anything, just put the colors there and just put the uh, paper, it doesn't matter what subject matter you're looking at, and just think about it and enjoy the colors that is coming and all this kind of stuff. So I was talking about it, but this lady that brought her into this session, even though she, her room was a different place. And so the proper, and so she was still laying down. Mm-hmm. So somebody propped her to stay. So someone was propping her up to They just, to just stand. hold her hands. Because she couldn't hold the pen. Yeah, she couldn't hold the pen. And so I casually came to her and said, wow, this is a fantastic brushwork. And I just went to the other students and talking about different things that they're doing. So that lady, I didn't realize that she was actually standing up for about two hours and painting. Whoa. And this lady never left the bed for two years. How do you explain that? Well, I mean, the expression part of it was that how quickly she connected with the colors and the depth and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's amazing. You make one push of the, put the paint on the color and all of a sudden this color just hits you in so many different emotional levels that you're not, you're not realizing this is it's happening. Another guy now, I remember now, another guy came to the class. He was dying of non-alcoholic liver disease and he wasn't ready for the transplant. 
about the story that he was talking about during these painting sessions. And again, these guys never had any kind of painting experience, but they're kind of connected. They were just painting from their own emotions without caring what other people are thinking about it. Mm. And I think that was a part that people get very connected. So when we hear stories like these, mm-hmm. especially in our scientific mindset, a lot of us want to immediately think, no, this is mumbo jumbo. How can mm-hmm. someone who's, you know, broken or can't get up, get up with? Because mm-hmm. like modern science can't explain that. Right. But seeing that must be an incredible uh, experience. And we, mm-hmm. we only start to believe in some of these anomalies and forget that science actually doesn't explain everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned something says modern, modern medicine. Well, I always like to change this word modern with today's medicine. Mm. Because if you look at what is modern now, 10 years from now, it's not modern anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's really today's knowledge, what we know. So, and that gives it a different perspective of thinking. Yeah. Because you don't think this one here, you don't put them on, on the pedestal. Right. That these are the modern. Because 100 years ago, modern medicine was really fucked up. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you started learning the tools of your craft and expressing mm-hmm. yourself emotionally through art. Mm-hmm. And then you had to make another move from Gom mm-hmm. and uh, from Iran completely to the U.S. Yeah. So actually the preparations of leaving Iran was another emotional up and down for me. So my uncle used to be in embassy as part of the attache staff. So he was in U.S. in early 60s and came to Iran in about early part of 70 or so. So he was promoting the idea how the life is outside of here. So I was living with him and he was, and he was uh, promoting that I have to take English classes. So there was a couple of areas and one of them was the Society of Iranian American. So you learn about the traditions in the U.S., you learn about all different kind of stuff, but the focus was on language. So there was lots of boys and girls. So emotionally, I was just learning all this kind of stuff that I have to, this is a totally different society that I came from. So that was the time that I was actually was excited to explore, to have a girlfriend. And I didn't know how to, again, express myself to the girl because I never had that experience before. Yeah. And so how do you connect with someone in the class? There was many girls, but this particular one got my attention. And so I connected with her. And so, and she was there because she was also planning to leave Iran probably. And uh, so she invited me to go to an opera in Tehran of, of Eterno. And so it was a big, huge experience for me to go to the opera, to this big, huge, magnificent place and understanding about opera, which have, I wasn't even part of my culture to begin with. Yet she was so much into it, but it was very short-lived. But somehow we just separated very quickly. But that created another stepping stone as far as emotion is concerned. Mm-hmm. That who the women are, who the girlfriends are, the whole relationship of ideas. And it's from being a, a boyish and thinking about the girl, then thinking about the girl as a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And it was very foreign to me, but it was a fantastic growth emotionally yeah it's a very tricky part of any guy's life to transition Mm -hmm. from that boyish girls are like a a different species almost to 
girls are all I can think about. Right. And uh, it's a it's a very tough uh, experience in try, trying to maneuver that because mm-hmm. there's no manual. There's nothing yeah. in any kind of attraction, especially when uh, you come from a culture mm-hmm. like Iran's or. Right any conservative culture in general where mm-hmm. sex is seen as very stigmatized, sex mm-hmm. is very wrong. And that's the ultimate like expression of our emotions. And mm-hmm. uh, even the idea of being with someone and being able to mm-hmm. express that is mm-hmm. much harder than you think. You know, it's something that everyone goes through. Sometimes I think, mm-hmm. why didn't anyone like try to help me yeah. and tell me this before? Yeah. Yeah. I had to go through like this grueling, embarrassing mm-hmm. time that I have a lot of shame and thoughts and have no way to mm-hmm. kind of maneuver it mm-hmm. and I think a lot of men in general don't get the benefits of like really understanding your emotions and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like some some men uh, tap into that and I think a lot of men in the world uh, find it really hard and that might be part of why we're like severed right now because mm-hmm. we're all in ivory towers and right. we don't want to show any any part of us and mm-hmm. there's this idea that we have to be secretive too mm-hmm. right like we have a lot of men i think are hiding behind jobs or material possessions or titles that mm-hmm. protect like any kind of emotions or people seeing that emotion is like yeah. and it became regarded as a weakness in general like we yeah. had an agreement at some point that emotions are weakness yeah and that's also it, it explains the difference between gender roles and and why even women which now i see them as like tapping into their emotion is such an incredible strength and feat mm-hmm. to you know because they are tapped into these emotions so let's not have them be part of the decisions but you just yeah. mentioned it's a it's going to be a huge asset for you mm-hmm. so yeah you know sometimes i think like what what happened like when when did we decide that emotions were a bad thing and how come a lot of us are severed from them i think the way that we express it at least in the society that I came many, many years ago. And this is the enigma about the society at that point. That's something else extremely negative to think about, but they give you a pathway to experience it. So you experience it, for example, sexuality. At that time, even in Iran, even in, there was lots of sexual activity was happening <laughs> in so many different levels. When you get into the, place like Tehran or Ahwaz or Abadan, all these kind of the big towns or Isfahan, you can understand there are actually licensed cat houses. So you go over your first sexual experiences is probably through that. Usually a friend explained to you. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a huge interesting part of the emotional expression. We look at the sexuality uh, with all the myth that has with it. That why are you going to go all over to the sky and come back and, yeah. oh, don't trust her. This is you just, and then because that becomes your first experience, you don't know how to express it because physically something just happened to you. Yeah. You don't have any reference point to it. Yeah. And then you also have to connect that. And all of a sudden you find out that you don't have any reference to it. That is the center point of your identity and your emotions in so many different ways. Yeah, to to me, uh, I really struggled with that because my center point was always rationality mm-hmm. and right. and thought. And, I, and for the longest time, I felt like I can think my way out of any emotion, uh, any problem. Um, and that just doesn't translate into relationships uh, mm-hmm. or even work for that matter, I think. Right. So would you say most people are, are connected to their emotions when they think of decisions and uh, you know, actions in the world, or are we more thinking-based than rational-based? 
I think they are kind of are they they're really part of this the same coin. Mm-hmm. Even though you think you're thinking very rationally, when you're breaking it down, you're making simple decisions or you're making the flowchart in your mind based on the emotional decisions that you're making. So for example, let's take an idea of taking a risk. Well, what is really taking the risk means? So emotional part, you could say, well, don't invest in this area. This is very risky. Mm. Well, how do you quantify a feeling of a risk? The only way you could do that. So even your deepest rational feeling is really made of a smaller emotion. And then you put it together, you frame it in the rational. So oh, I made a decision. This is based on this. Less risk and more upshot or whatever. When you think about it, these are all emotional decisions, but you don't know that you are actually touching those emotions. Right, it's like a, it's it's just a loop of, I push the button, I get pleasure, I right. take a risk, it's thrilling, I'm right. getting all these dopamine rushes. And, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, and it reminds me of uh, this book I read called uh, A Righteous Mind, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic book wrote by a moral psychologist. His name is Jonathan Haidt. Mm-hmm. And he writes about how we tend to think that we're making the decision with our rationale, like you said. Mm-hmm. But the metaphor is that there is a huge elephant mm-hmm. and that elephant is your emotion uh, or, your, or all your emotions and yeah. your feelings. And the tiny rider on top of the elephant is your lawyer mm-hmm. that creates all the rational arguments to defend the emotion that you've already gone. So right. you, the, lawyer, the lawyer can speak as loud as they want yeah. and the rider can try to steer the elephant. But if the elephant's gone left, well, mm-hmm. you're either going left or you're jumping off. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that opens up even in the heights of your anger. What you're really doing is you're expressing your emotion. Yeah. It's just you're framing it differently. Exactly. You're f- framing it in an argument that seems very logical to you. Yeah. And it will never seem logical to the other because they're invested in a different emotion, emotional right. Uh, right. state. Right. And I think the best we can do is be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we don't have to hate others that feel differently because yeah. then we're allowing them to feel their emotions because we're allowing ourselves. Yeah, I, th- I think so- a lot of that anger comes when we see someone express their emotions. This kind of idea is why people are becoming health coaches, becoming life coaches. It's so accessible now. And with the whole technology of video conferencing, everything, all the contents, you could express yourself. And you don't have to read manuals and all and all the books in order to get essence of something. And I think this YouTube and YouTube type of part is really helping people to think alternatively. Now, but it could go either way. Now, we've seen this one here on the previous administration. In our lifetime, the whole country was broken in two pieces. Mm-hmm. It's not the first time. It wasn't in our time when it happened before. Now that we live here in this time, we see the impacts of something that could be positive. It could be also have the other side to it. So I think this is what is now the society is becoming awakening. Yeah. This kind of idea wasn't accessible before. So was it being hidden from us or was it uh, not time for it? Or did we need rationale more in our evolution and now we're leading emotions more? Like, Is it a change in tides or is it a, a, a destruction of a barrier? Like, what, Why is it changing? Throughout the whole time, we always have these spikes that all of a sudden one generation starts to take off and everybody else follows. You go back to ancient times, 60,000 years ago, you see the same thing. Whatever the technology was there, and they came and gone. I think we are in the time now that that spike, it's very visible, but it's accessible. What is that spike about? Well, this spike is about 
understanding there's alternative way of looking at thinking and feeling things. Uh, it's okay to feel that way. Throughout this kind of stuff, you also you discover that emotion is going to be imposed on you through some people are bullying you. Well, how are you going to react to that? And then you start to know who you are at that moment. And so when are you going to stand up to that? So what are the risks of you going to get hurt? Does it worth it? Or should I take an alternative way? And it's almost like doing the martial art. If you're not trained, you just jump at someone. Whereas in martial art, you're trying to use that negative force against that person. And I think we are getting to that part that we start understanding the power of these emotions. Emotions can be your best friend and your worst enemy. They can be the thing that brings people closer together or the eruption of the volcano that tears people apart. Emotions are actually pretty magical. They're kind of like our built-in feedback mechanism. If we do good, we'll feel good. If we do bad things, we'll also feel bad emotions. So what if I told you that basically you're responsible for every single emotion you feel? That truth is scarier than most women on the second day of their cycle. Don't worry though, both truths you need not take personally, for at least one is universal law. Feel, heal, and don't leave karma out of the conversation, because I've heard when she gets angry, she can be a big bleep. A big theme of what we've been discussing is uh, the idea that men have a feminine side to them that is frequently not expressed or not allowed to be expressed and you know the opposite that female can have a masculine side to them and we tend to break these into categories and I think that creates a lot of shame mm -hmm. and a lot of these archetypes that we've mm -hmm. been talking about on the show yeah. part of you being creative and part of you being able to express your emotions is uh, you're one of the people that really can tap into the feminine side to them so I look up to you in that and um I think it, it causes a lot of pain in society when men can't mm -hmm. uh, express that because it's a whole yeah. creative side of you that can't really be shown to the world. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that in terms of relationship? You've been with your wife, Alice, now for how long? 48. 48. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a lot of great moments and a, and a lot of uh, tough work, I'm sure. Yeah, well, yeah definitely. Huge experience. Just... But I think when I got married and when we had kids, not married, but when we had kids, so I was searching for some kind of user manual or something right, to tell you, okay, well, these are the babies, you're the dad, these are the instructions for it and stuff. And so that was the part that I didn't know where to go. So I had to start wearing, tapping into traditional ideas and the thoughts, how the kids are supposed to grow up, how they're supposed to respond. That didn't go anywhere. <laughs> they would grow up on their own ways. And so there was one or few times of clashes that we had very quickly, I modified it. And that's because of Alice. She was jumping in in the right moment and trying to make sure that everybody's away and starts talking to each other and bringing kind of advice. But that's the reason he's thinking. And then, well, you know, they're going through this process right now in high school. Right? And also being a father of daughters is very, very different than if it was a son. Right, and you had twin daughters, so you're going to, to exactly. double the learning experience at exactly. the same exact time. Yeah, and for me, it was like a four times yeah. <laughs> target, <laughs> right. because Alice was there too sometimes. Yeah. And so, and that was the time that my parents started, they came to live with us. Oh. 
those are really a very emotional times. And the retrospect is in some areas was very sad, and some areas was very joyful. We as a family we're going through the huge, huge changes. Mm. And then they had their own traditional belief. And I haven't seen my dad for about 20 years. So I didn't know that how should I package him mm. in my mind. My mom, I've seen her before because she came here a couple of years before that. And that was another up and down time because they discovered that she has cancer and then we had to get insurance and finding all these kind of rules and regulations that somebody is visiting. You've been through so many ups and downs moments mm -hmm. in, in life where the, you've experienced the extremes of the emotions. Right? That's and true, yeah. Even with coming to Treasure Island, there was a loss mm -hmm. of a business and a loss right. of a home at a right. critical time in the family. Right. But then you've created the life that you have now. From, mm -hmm. How do you keep your head above the water during every one of these mm -hmm. spikes? Sometimes when these spikes happen to us, we feel like it's going to be the end of the world. Mm -hmm. This one's going to be really the one that breaks our back. Yeah, yeah. Is this is this the one? Or, yeah. What are some of the things you tell yourself in those moments? I think these are the things that Alice and I will communicate. Hmm. And I think that's really, that's, that's my strength. And sometimes I see that I'm emotionally on really, really hard disappointment. Okay, there's, okay, this is going to be the last dollar and that's it. And then... When we talk at that point, for example, I find out that oh, her emotion is hundred times more than me because she has to also worry about the kids. It was right at the end of the high schools and they all had great. And then Alice was getting her master's degree. And so every day she had to come to UCSF. And all this kind of stuff was happening. But when I was looking at it, I said, wow, she's really dealing with much, much harder issues as a mother than me as a dad and so when i put it in that perspective it kind of helped me to kind of ground my feelings don't feel that I'm, i'm the victim one of the other things that i learned is that i'm not the victim ah yeah that's a that's a key one yeah so that idea that don't victimize yourself releases so much of the pressure of different type of levers mm. uh, because there was a time that somebody took my idea right in the middle of the fundraising and they fired me from the group and then they went and they raised $30 million dollars for my wow. idea. Wow. And then it was really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a time right after my dad just passed away. Uh, anyway, it was just an unbelievable moment. I talked to my attorney because I really, emotionally, I really felt devastated. That, okay, we'll just come to the terms that it says, okay, it's not working out, but don't use my idea that I'm your president and packaging this one here. So I was really devastating. And then we hired a, my attorney, my corporate attorney introduced me to an attorney, a lawyer. He went back and forth. And so I said, I thought you have a huge, huge case here. So I'm preparing all this kind of letters to send out. And this son of a bitch, son of a bitch did the same thing with others before. Oh wow! So there is actually a track and yours is now coming on the top because they never raised that much of money. And now this is a breakthrough. So I thought about it and I was just thinking, I was talking to Alice and about it. And then, so he called back and, and he says, Atto, what do you think of it? Because we're going to be now uh, going through the whole legal process. And he agreed that he's not going to get any money until the whole case. I said, okay, that's fine. When I look back, when I call him back and he says, Atto, are we ready to go? I says, no, actually, you know, I'm going to drop the case. And that was a moment that I think not feeling victim kicked in. But I called them and I said, no, listen, I'm, I'm going to drop the case because if this guy realized 
what idea that, that I was presented. That is a credit to me, that somebody actually took my idea and raised big amounts of money. Now what they're going to do with it and how they're going to go with it, it doesn't matter, but for me, it's a safe pride. And I think that was part of the lessons that I learned. And once you get out of the victim idea, it's not in the cards, the thing starts to work out immediately. And we actually came out out of that experience way, way high. And that's the reason I'm in Trade Rhino, because they gave me basically absolute right of access to anything we want to do here. You basically lost your house, and all of a sudden you find a castle. That reminds me of that, the, what's that statement that your father used to say? Oh, this, this also passed. Yeah, that, this too shall pass. Yes, that's right. So these are some of the wisdom of the old times that we rely on, but yet you grow up on your Can own. Can still work. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Give yourself plenty of time. I said from this time to this time here, for the next three months or six months, I'm mourning of passing of this person. Mm. Or this experience, horrible experience that I went through. And be open about every moment of it. You put yourself in that situation, back and forth and stuff, but consciously knowing that you're giving yourself a runway only for that many times, that many days or months or whatever. And when that time comes, you have to be honest to yourself. So, okay, I'm at the end of the runway. Okay, either I'm taking off, I'm crashing. And that's the time that you realize, okay, I did all of the morning that I did. I did all the rehashing, hating, and rethinking the situation but now okay that's the end of it sorry about that goodbye and let go and I think that's probably the best advice I could say from my point of view well that's probably the best thing to close on because I want to hold on to this conversation because I'm enjoying it so much because sure. I always <laughs> do it many conversations but we have to let it go we have to let go of Great. the gum cast for a little bit too mm-hmm so that we can give ourselves time to get back in, in our creative uh, space. Uh, thank you so much for this thank you very much. conversation. My honor to be part of that, and I really enjoyed it, and I think this is such a creative way that you're going. And that brings us to the end of Season 1 of The Gumcast. We'll be back with our second season very soon, but until then, we have some great things coming your way during our break. We'd like to thank our friend Atta Pilgrim for joining us on our season finale and sharing his wisdom and life experiences with us. The intro of this episode was from Chapter 11 of the book In Search of Gumption by Almer Shacker. Visit us at gumption.inc. That's gumption.inc. Where you can read part one of the book as well as sign up to receive updates on the book, the blog, and this podcast. And on behalf of all of us, we want to thank you for joining us on this journey and there's so much more to come. So stay tuned, and we'll see you next time.